This is the Jesus Habit Podcast, where we're using scripture and science to make your new nature in Christ second nature. Episode 19 for Monday, September 30th, 2019. idea. To become someone whose actions line up with faith in Jesus' calling, I need to be with comrades who echo the same calling. Our weekly identity statement, I intentionally surround myself with and daily encourage comrades in the calling. And our memory verse, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Hebrews 4, 14-16 One of my favorite resources for understanding how we can best facilitate change in our lives is a book called Influencer by Joseph Grinney. In chapter 6, Grinney shares about a study that was done in 1961 by Dr. Stanley Milgram. Milgram was mystified by Hitler's Germany and sought to figure out what types of people could be motivated to annihilate his or her innocent friends and neighbors. Being in Connecticut, they naturally assumed there would be few of that type of person. In fact, when Milgram asked a sample group of social psychologists to predict how many existed in the population, they suggested only 1.2% of the population. Essentially, the experiment was designed to see how high an electric shock a subject would be willing to give another person in a supposed impact of negative reinforcement on learning study. The subject who appeared to get to choose a slip of paper to determine if they would be the learner or the teacher, actually didn't have a choice. Both slips of paper said teacher. Their job was to teach the learner, someone who was in on the study, sets of words. Then the teacher would go back through the list, give the learner the first word, and ask for the second word. When they got it wrong, the teacher shocked the learner, starting at 45 volts and stopping at 450 volts. The subject of the actual study, or the teacher, didn't know that the learner wasn't actually being shocked. Instead, when they flipped the switch, a recording would play, and they would hear the learner, who had heart problems, grunt and moan and cry out in pain. If the so-called teacher asked to stop, and many paused at a measly 135 volts to question the purpose of the study, They were told by the scientist in a white lab coat that the experiment required them to continue up to four times. If the teacher asked to stop a fifth time, they would stop. While the black and white film makes it clear that the teachers hated what they were doing to the learners, quite a few more than 1.2% of them, 65% in fact, administered large shocks. But then there was one more additional piece of the study that is alarming. Milgram also found that the presence of one more person made a big difference. Having someone in street clothes in the room, a confederate who was part of the study, who challenged the scientist and administered the full 450 volts, increased the likelihood that the so-called teacher would do the same to 90%. This was a highly controversial study, and it is viewed as unethical today and even may have been what kept Dr. Milgram from receiving tenure at Harvard. 
In post-experiment interviews, many of the subjects felt extreme guilt for what they had done, though many also justified their actions with statements of, they must have done something to deserve this, or I was just following orders. What this teaches us is, it doesn't take much influence at all to get us to cross moral and ethical boundaries we thought were etched in stone. Even more than that, we can see that as humans, we have an incredible amount of influence in the lives of one another. Similarly, others have an incredible amount of influence over us. We may think we could resist such impulses as these, but statistically speaking, only 1 in 10 would actually resist compromising. This is not new information. In fact, Paul quotes a proverb of his time in 1 Corinthians 15.33 when he says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And a thousand years before Paul wrote that down, Solomon wrote down this proverb, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. The people we have allowed into our lives are, without a doubt, having an effect on the person we are today and our ability to change. If the subtle peer pressure of a stranger can essentially lead someone to murder an innocent bystander, how much greater the influence of loved ones must be in our lives. This is why we need to be much more careful with the people we allow to have influence in our lives than we have typically been. Proverbs 12.26 A righteous man is cautious in friendship, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Are we cautious in friendship? Oftentimes we're not. We need to think about it differently. When we meet someone new, we should get into the habit of asking ourselves some questions. Is this person going to help me become more like Christ or lead me away from Christ? If I become like this person, will that be a good thing or a bad thing? What do the people around this person talk, think, and act like? How does this person treat others, both strangers and friends? In fact, the journey assignment for this week is what I call the Friends and Accomplices Audit, and it's designed to help you think through the effect the people in your life are having on your transformation journey. But there's more to it than simply the influence others have on our lives. We were not designed to walk this road alone. This is not a one-man journey up a mountain. This is a team expedition. We shared on Sunday from Hebrews 3, verse 12 and 13, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Encouraging one another daily is apparently the primary way we keep from having hardened hearts that have been led astray by sin. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We are supposed to be pushing one another forward in our walk with God on a daily basis. And it's supposed to be increasing in intensity as we go through life. The closer we get to Jesus' return, the more we are supposed to encourage one another. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 through 5. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks that they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Which is it? Do we carry each other's burdens or do we carry our own? Yes, both. 
We should test our own actions. We should carry our own load. And Paul even says that it's okay to take pride in our effort. But we are also to carry each other's burdens. And it is in carrying one another's burdens that we actually fulfill Jesus' law, that one command he gave in the upper room, the thing we celebrate every time we take communion, love one another as I have loved you. We have to be intentional about our relationships. We have to be intentional about how we encourage others and actually making the time to do it. You want to be encouraged. I want to be encouraged. I can sit and wait for someone to encourage me, and it might happen. Or I can go and encourage someone today, and maybe that person will want to encourage someone else, and that person will encourage someone else, and eventually I may find someone encouraging me. And we have got to get it out of our minds that we are in this alone. The only thing you do alone is die to your old life. Most of the time, you don't even come to Christ on your own. In large part, people are led to Christ by someone else. The only thing we do on our own is decide to put our faith in Christ. From that point on, we are born into an entirely new identity and new family. Sure, we have to exert our own effort and seek to walk humbly with God every day. But that walk isn't in isolation. That walk is supposed to be with others. This is not a solo expedition. We're in this together. Before we wrap up, there's another area we need to tackle. Social media. Your enemy, the devil, along with secular society, also know the power other people have in our lives. And they use it against us all the time. Anxiety levels in the United States and Western society as a whole are literally through the roof. A new survey shows that Americans' anxiety levels jumped by 40% from 2017 to 2018. They jumped 36% from 2016 to 2017. On a graph, this is not simply up and to the right, it's straight up. Why? Why is anxiety so high? One huge reason is the smartphone and our consistent access to various forms of media. Since the 1920s, ad companies have used anxiety to get us to buy products. When graphics-based advertising emerged, ad companies began playing on people's desired social standing to get them to buy things. Buy the right things, and you'll have the status you desire. Today's social media world has the same effect. 3,500 images are uploaded to Facebook every second. People spend an average of 25 hours a week online, most of that on social media sites. And now... Ad companies aren't just using our desire for social standing to get us to buy stuff. Ad companies use extraordinarily complex algorithms to play on every desire we might have and to hit us at the time of day when we are our weakest. Add to that, the more friends we have on social media, the more anxious we tend to be, largely because social media is a collection of peak experiences that show our friends living the ideal life. So scrolling and trolling is having an incredibly negative effect on our well-being. I cannot say it enough. Facebook has an agenda. Google has an agenda. Fox News, CNN, USA Today, New York Times, Huffington Post, Nintendo, Sony PlayStation, Microsoft, Xbox, ESPN, Us Weekly, Rachel Ray, HGTV, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and whatever the new trendy app the youngsters are using these days all have an agenda. 
These companies have spent billions, if not trillions of dollars in researching how to influence your decision for their advantage. They desire to keep us in a constant state of anxiety, precariously balanced between being paralyzed with fear and being overly content in the hopes that we will buy their products. My point? We are being heavily influenced by the media we consume and the devices we use. And we weren't designed to be anxious all the time. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If we're not supposed to be anxious about anything, it must be possible to not be anxious. Our anxiety may be another indicator that we have relinquished control of influence in our lives. And that may be a key reason we aren't growing because we're literally being used by media giants to benefit their bottom line. Are you aware of who or what has influence in your life? It might be time to do an audit and pay a little more attention to the power others have to influence our lives. Or we might just find ourselves giving someone 450 volts of electricity and be astounded that we crossed a line we never imagined we could cross. www.thejesushabit.com